Welcome to the Inspired to Be Authentic podcast. I am your host, Matt Lansadell. Inspired to Be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they have overcome to be more authentic and aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today is episode 24. We are going to be unpacking um, people-pleasing, talking all about people-pleasing, breaking the habits of people-pleasing. We are joined today by Ken Reed. Welcome, Ken. Hey, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about this uh, very problematic pattern of behavior. Yes. Yeah. I think it's probably one of the biggest things that gets in the way of people living authentically. So I'm really actually excited um, to talk about this today. And um, we're going to both be sharing our personal and professional experiences with um, people pleasing and how it is a barrier to uh, a lot of stuff. So we're going to be unpacking that. So I'm really excited. Um, so Ken is, is joining us from uh, Sydney, Australia, which is awesome to have uh, another Australian friend. I feel like I'm growing Australian friends by the, by the week. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I love my Aussie friends. Um, so a little bit about Ken. So Ken came about his career by complete accident after being suddenly broke up with a man who he was very much in love with. He was left devastated. He worked on himself, his self-esteem and his communication to recognize that the only thing stopping a man from having the love he wants with a loyal, committed partner are his thoughts and behaviors. He trained as a counselor and uses his extensive personal dating and relationship experience to help his clients to heal and get the love they deserve. Some good stuff there. So um, I actually want to hear about the story. So Ken came by his career by complete accident. Why don't you maybe share your story of origin with us and uh, how you got into doing all this? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, as I was hearing you say that, I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I did write that, didn't I? <laughs> um, now I have to talk about it. Okay, so um, how it all happened. Um, well, I had been dating, you know, on and off, and it got to a stage where I fell in love with a guy who, you know, he was everything that I thought I wanted. Six-figure job doctor from a different part of the globe and as someone who's lived before overseas that was something that I was vastly attracted to or so I thought and then you know we also had all these great similarities in common and I think what was really quite hard was the fact that there was so many signs of things going in the right direction romantic candlelit dinners grand gestures wonderful dates and offers to have a future together and we'd repeatedly said how much we liked one another when all of a sudden oh I don't think I'd want to be in a relationship I'd rather just be you know at home watching porn but don't worry you'll find someone magnificent one day Hmm. and I didn't feel magnificent upon hearing that so that really really threw my world up into a mess and I was really severely heartbroken after what was only a month with this guy. And a lot of people don't appreciate that when you're broken up in the honeymoon period, it is one of the most significantly painful experiences you can go through as a man or a woman because you go from essentially feeling like you're on Mount Everest, feeling great, to the bottom of the Mariana Trenches and just feeling miserable. So... 
I had to pick up the pieces of myself during that process. And also as I was doing that, I was constantly asking myself the question, what happened? What had I done? What allowed this to happen? And then it slowly transitioned into, okay, if it's not me, what allowed me to bring that kind of person into my life? Because if I did everything that I know is rationally correct, what was I missing from this person? And as part of that, I also had to really cross-examine the relationships I had in my world thinking, okay, what's allowed me to have this kind of person in my life? Like, what did I not see? And also, what does basic trust mean between people? So, you know, listening to you talk about authenticity, I had to learn and unlearn a lot of things. I looked at my actions and realised, oh, my goodness, I've, like, been trying to maintain myself with popularity, have a good body, have like all these shiny features to my personality just for the sake of having more friends and feeling better about myself. And then I had to introspectively go, okay, wow, this is so wrong. It's just made me feel hollow inside. So part of that recovery process amongst reading a lot of self-help books was working out what my self-worth was, establishing a healthy self-esteem by waking up and being mindful of who I am Mm. and then going through the process of actually realising what my basic needs were. So if you will, the process since heartbreak to where I am today as a relationship coach, quitting my nine to five as a marketing manager was realising I don't want to fit into this box that I was raised to be. I actually want to do something that's fulfilling And that means serving other gay men and helping them overcome their challenges in their lives. Yeah, I like that. What um, you talk about, about challenges for gay men, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you see in your, in your work with, with gay men? Just the one. Uh, And I, I don't mean that obviously out of cynicism. It's just that we are very complicated men. And I think that we have a lot of unique challenges. I think that shame is deeply rooted for a lot of gay men. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest one that I would say I have observed. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, uh, that's been the same with me. I did addiction counseling for 10 years um, with not gay men. I had a few gay clients along the way, but it was predominantly just people. And that was the, the underbelly. The underbelly of addiction is shame. The underbelly of um, gay men seems to be shame. It's a big, it's a big, uh, big, t- big deal. And um, also something that bleeds into people pleasing, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it's interesting how you started this off by saying that people pleasing... I think it was, I heard you say, people-pleasing is far removed from being authentic. I'd compliment that by also saying, I actually think we learn from a very young age in childhood to abandon authenticity just to fit in, which by extension is just people-pleasing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I love that, abandoning authenticity to fit in. What Can you, can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So imagine... But when we're back in school, you know, we as human beings are social creatures. We want to feel like we belong because if we don't, we feel like we're not part of a tribe. So school is our first in real taste of fitting in with groups of people and understanding what rejection feels like, understanding what it feels like to be part of a group of people, to be loved and to be accepted. And so... 
being gay, for me at least when I was growing up, was not acceptable. It was not okay. So I was like, without even knowing who I was back then, I was like, okay, well, this is not acceptable. acceptable. Then I need to remove this from my entity and be the complete opposite. Enter the world of going, you know, to the gym, working out, trying to fit in with this masculine idea of what is supposed to be acceptable. And so as part of that, you know, catering to people who I thought I was supposed to be, you know, part of, the popular-seeming people. And so really a lot of our problems and our people-pleasing start very early Mm -hmm. from those formative years of growing up with family, in school, and that's where we learn that being authentic is not in fact okay. And I'm not talking like recognising what our gender is. That's one thing. I'm talking like understanding what our basic human rights are. Yeah. Yeah. Good synopsis. Um, I'm, I'm, I actually want to, I want to continue to set context because I think this conversation is going to go quite deep in it, but I want to make sure we have um, context for the things for the listener to understand. Like we're, we're, we're unpacking what people pleasing is. We're unpacking what um, shame is, these sorts of things. How do you define authenticity? Well, I think authenticity is understanding who you are and what you want. Now, we all think we know who we are. I mean, for instance, you know yourself as Matt. I know myself as Ken. But we may think of ourselves by relation to all the objects we have in our world, like, you know, my apartment, you know, my body, the friends that I have. What I believe real authenticity is, is something internal. It's our values. Mm-hmm. So for me, mine are resilience, pursuit of happiness, radical honesty, and also uh, consistency. So when it comes to that, they're my foundations and that's my bedrock and that's how I frame my world. I think for a lot of people, authenticity simply means uh, recognising parts of ourselves, like I am gay, I am straight, this and that. I think that's a much deeper thing than that. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we have the self-concept, um, which is what you're talking about, the psychology of who we are, which is the authenticity. Uh, we have the, you know, we can authentically say, you know, we, we, we enjoy certain material things, certain foods. That can be our authenticity as well. I think for me, I'm really um, reveling in the concepts around presence. My presence is the most authentic aspect of who I am because it's the energy of who I am. And, and the energy of who I am is constantly informing all those other things, right? Like how, how is the energy showing up in this given moment of who I want to express myself as? And that that can be informing our moods, our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, everything is kind of informed by that underlying, um, that energy to which I I like to call presence. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really cool. And when you start to really tune into this energy, energetic field of who you are, um, you realize the limitless and the potential of, of who we can be if we're not like, constantly stuck in this box of our self-concept of who we think we need to show up as based off of the stories that we tell ourselves or the stories that we've been told by society or by our parents. So it's like, I'm almost kind of at a stage in my life right now where I'm breaking free of these boxes, you know, and like seeing how like boxless I can be, <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and that for me is, is how authenticity is really expressing itself in my life. Yeah, I love that. And I think to complement what you've said, you know, authenticity also means knowing what feels good because I think so often what we think is good for us is not always, in fact, in line with ourselves. And this is where we nicely dovetail into people-pleasing because I think that, you know, in so many cases when it comes to our authenticity, 
we will do things for others thinking that it's in our long-term interest. Mm. It's not. We often think that by getting along with disagreeable people that we're somehow being mature, we're getting along, we're showing the world that we can actually be good people. Mm-hmm. But even in saying that, you know, showing others, doing things for others, making sure we get along, you know, these things all tie into that social aspect of who we are as human beings, which is that fear of rejection, that fear of not wanting to, you know, be removed from a social group. So what do you do to avoid that? You get along with people by the best way you know how, and that means selling yourself up just to fit in with everyone else around you. Yeah. Oh man, you're describing like all of my teenage years and half of my twenties. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, I was just kind of reminded of like, you know, growing up in school and like always wanting to have and like begging my mom to like not take me to like Kmart. I don't know if you guys have Kmart in Australia, but it's kind of like, like a Walmart or whatever. Yeah. And um, I, I did not want my clothes to be from there. I wanted them to be from like the fancy places and, um, you know, because <laughs> you want to fit in, you know what I mean? And that's a big part of going yeah. to school. And we learn that we learn that conformity is the best way to fit in. Right. And um, I'm curious for you, how do you distinguish the difference between fitting in and belonging? Ooh, I can answer that. That's a fantastic question. So <laughs> conformity is getting along with people. Finding a tribe is finding people who match your values. So for me, my closest friends right now are very aligned with who I am and my values. And I can feel that. You know, when you talk about energy alignment, mine is I don't feel like I'm about to explode when I'm with them. Yeah. In other words, there are times when I've met people and I've thought to myself, I want to run away from my body because I feel so uncomfortable knowing that this person's cheated on their partner or this person is just lying to themselves or this person is just so incongruent with my value of honesty. But prior to that, I'd be getting along thinking to myself, well, you know, everyone has their problems. Everyone's got their challenges. Look at me. I've got a range of friends who I can get on with too. And in saying that, I'm, you know, what I'm doing there is I'm trying to prove to myself something that I can be popular, I can get along with other people, and that I'm not, you know, a failure. And by extension, I am enough. But that's shaky. You know, you put in so much faith and hope in external validation and the opinions of other people, then the minute someone says something bad about you who you trust because that's where you place all your self-esteem it's gone. You know, you don't respect who you are anymore. So when you belong to a tribe of people, you're not coming from a place of judgment. You're not coming from a place of criticism. You just accept people as who they are and go, well, we're in alignment. And if we suddenly break out of alignment, it is what it is. It's not personal. Yeah. What, 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 what is, what do you think is the biggest motivator behind people pleasing? Like conformity, obviously, we're talking about like those sorts of things. But what is even a layer, a layer deeper? Why are people doing it? I think there's two things. Matt, and um, I'd love to hear your experiences on this. I think there's fear and there's also, in, they also think it's love. So on one hand, there's the fear of rejection, which we've talked about. But on the other hand, too, we think that that's what we, what we want. Like that's what we will get out of, you know, from our friends and even our family, too. 
I don't know about you, I grew up in a very conditionally loved family. So what that means is that I was trained that I was a good boy if I did well in school and that I was somehow bad if I didn't perform well or I didn't put enough effort in. So that dynamic meant that if I didn't do what was required of me, what was prescripted of me, I was therefore not a good child. Hmm. So I learned in that instance to do one thing, which was to please my mum, that I had to show up and be good academically in order to receive a level of love. Hmm. That action then replicates itself, you know, throughout many of our interactions with other people, including friends and acquaintances, because we think, well, if I do this for this person, I will get the respect I believe I'm owed. Hmm. So we come from this place of wanting more and more affection. And particularly as gay men, this is problematic because many of us grew up with conditional love from our family members. We never felt like we belonged. So what do we do? We overcompensate. We are extremely creative. We're extremely hardworking. We are, you know, all the A pluses in every field that we go into. And on one hand, great, we've learned to be incredibly diligent workers, but what's the cost of that? We aren't doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for someone else. But until we realise that, we think that we're actually doing it for ourselves because what we get from that is kind of like this momentary bit of happiness. You know, we feel like, oh, you know, like that person made me feel so good. But it's kind of like a drug, you know. It feels good in the moment, but it'll be gone soon and you're back to wanting more of it over and over again too. So in short... We want to feel good. Yeah. I like both those actually. And, you know, God, I'm so stimulated right now. There's so much, so much you're taking me down, like back into um, growing up as, as a gay man, really rejecting this about myself. And um, for me, I developed really, really prominent perfectionism. Mm-hmm. as a overcompensation for the shame I was experiencing. So my shame story was I'm not good enough. I'm defective. I'm inadequate uh, because I was gay because I didn't. And then that, and those, th- those feelings made me feel like I didn't belong. So the motivation behind my people pleasing was exactly that is this shame, this root of shame. And um, you know, growing up, I felt like I had to really change who I was and I had to hide who I was and I wore these masks. And um, I feel like for me, people pleasing was almost kind of like a shield. You know what I mean? And it prevented me from having to experience somebody poking my shame wounds. So I had this shield of perfectionism and people pleasing so I could protect people from not poking at my shame wounds. And, um, And when I wouldn't people please, and I would live my truth, people would show disapproval or disappointment in me. And that would target my shame wound. And then it would make me feel inadequate, not good enough, inferior, defective. And I had to feel all my feelings. So for me, healing my people-pleasing was actually probably one of the hardest things. And I'm still actually working through it. Um, my fear of criticism and my fear of rejection. Because it makes you have to sit with these really wounded parts of yourself right? And because everyone else is just a mirror to us. So when people are mirroring back to me, my inadequacy or my, my not good enough story, it's very painful, right? Mm-hmm. But the only way through it is to really sit with that part of you that feels the need to um, change who you are 
and abandon your sense of self um, all for the approval of others. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you were saying too, like, you know, needing to put on so many faces for others too. I mean, that act of being a chameleon is so much part of the people pleasing aspect too, because you don't want that disapproval. The minute you get it, you're like, Oh God, I don't feel good. And as you said, it touches those shame wounds. So now here's a question for you. If you, you know, with who you are at this time, to the best of your knowledge, when you look at those people who are disapproving of you with your authenticity, are they part of your tribe? Do you still try and hang out with them and continue being with them? No. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I've, I've had a lot of, I've experienced a lot of criticism in the last six months because I've, I've put myself out there in very extreme ways, um, mm. in the gay community specifically, that's where I've experienced the most criticism. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually fascinating the, the amount of criticism I've, I've experienced just over starting the gay men's brotherhood. Um, within the first few months of starting the brotherhood, um, I received no, no shit. I received like death threat. I received a, a threat towards my mother's life. Um, what? People saying they were going to burn, buy, buy my book and burn it. Um, like just tons of, of really inappropriate things. And I, it was a really painful few, few months for me. And I'm really, really grateful that I had, you know, my three other compadres to kind of help me through that because it was really, I, I was being asked to heal this part of myself because if I'm going to put myself out in, in, a, in a more of a public way moving forward, I need to heal these fears and these parts of me that feel the need to please other people because, I, uh, you know, I'm doing work around authenticity and it's, it's so important for me to be able to lead energetically from from that place um so yeah no i don't do that anymore and you know but you know where where i'm at now is i'm i i led with callousness for a while um and and that was a couple months ago where i was just like you know had that fuck you attitude like i don't care what you think but that's not that's not real either that's just my ego trying to defend myself right from having to experience the criticism so Mm -hmm. what i'm using now my secret weapon is actually humility and I, I root myself in humility, knowing that um, I still care what people think about me, but I don't linger in that space. I look at it. If somebody gives me, you know, sends me a death threat, <laughs> you know, I look at it and I'm like, what is this? Is there any truth in this for me to, to own? And if there isn't, I don't linger there. And I, cause there's nothing there for me. It's just somebody else's projection. And I do that yeah. with humility and it's been really, it's been really effective. And I've, I feel like I've shed some major, major skin in this area of my life and um, it feels good. Yeah. So thank you for asking that question. No, I, I can relate to a lot of what you've said. And in fact, it's really funny because sometimes I receive criticism too. And I look at it and I think to myself, mentally, I act more as an observer now rather than just reading it and taking it in. I'm like, okay. How does this make me feel? Is there any basis of truth to this, which I actually think is valuable to me? Fortunately, I haven't had death threats, um, but I'll look at more of this, the strategic stuff that's aimed towards my business and who I am and what I do. And I think and go, do I even agree with this? And then this is me talking to myself. And if I don't, I'm like, look, thank you very much. And I'll move on. Like I had this conversation with someone recently, an acquaintance of mine, and oh my God, Um, basically we were out for dinner and he wanted to give me advice about dating. And I was thinking, you've picked the wrong person to talk to. And so he was asking me questions like, you know, what are the five things you're willing to compromise when you go on a date? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, 
This isn't something I think about on a regular basis when I'm dating. I mean, maybe where I go for dinner, but not my life, that's for sure. And then he wanted to know more like, you know, oh, what are you looking for in a partner? I'm thinking, well, that was on my vision board. I thought about it, meditated on it. Like, you know, it is what it is. And he was like, oh, you're too fluffy. You don't even know what you're looking for. <laughs> now, having known, like, having known this guy for a while and having known this person as someone who was originally a very close friend, dare I say even a best friend, I could have taken his words because of the bond that we had had and, thought, and really internalised that and gone, oh, my God, you're so right. I really need to do something about this. And what would I have done? I probably would have gone back to the drawing board and really thought and mulled over and stressed out about it. What did I do differently this time? I just said to him, thank you very much for sharing with me your thoughts and feelings. I appreciate where you're coming from. I don't agree with anything that you've said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I felt so relieved afterwards too because I was just like, I'm like not allowing that into my life. Yeah. Yeah, God, I have, a, I have a phrase that I use too when people are just projecting their pain onto me or they're trying to pull me into a, into a war, a Facebook war or a keyboard war. Um, what do I say? I'm like, you know, thank you for, thank you for sharing your, your point of view I appreciate you sharing it or something like that. Like, cause it's not, it's not about, it's not about agreeing. I don't have to agree with them, but I can appreciate their point of view. I really can. I appreciate all people's points of views, but that doesn't mean that I have to agree with it. And I also, the, the more that I root myself in my own truth, the more that I can allow other people to be in their truth because I'm confident about my truth. So somebody else speaking their truth in my presence doesn't have to make me feel like my truth is any less valid. Right. And that's mm. kind of where, what's beautiful about it. And, and, and also, I don't attach to my beliefs to a point where um, I allow my ego to get too caught up in it because my beliefs are always changing, right? If I'm open, they're always informed by my experiences. And if I'm allowing myself to have a lot of beautiful experiences, that means my beliefs are subject to change as well. 100%. I think here's the funny thing about authenticity. And I think some people with a shaky belief on this don't get it. I think we are evolving, therefore, who we are and what our basic needs and wants are will gradually shift over time. You are probably not the same person you were even six months ago. Hell, I know I'm not. Yeah. But there's six weeks gen- ago. <laughs> six days ago. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, it's just that thing of learning to, I think, look inward to more like, how do I feel about this in my given situation? To tie on something that you were saying too, you know, when you were like, responding to these people who want to have these Facebook wars and you're saying, I appreciate your opinion. That's it. The other thing I'd add to that too is I also accept that a person's emotions are not mine. You know, sometimes, especially with my therapy background and what I'm doing now as a coach, you'll listen to some people and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll obviously unleash a lot of things into their world. I've had friends in abusive relationships who want to bring me into what they're going in. And I have to say now that's very nice of you. And I also am very worried about your circumstances. However, as a friend, this is actually now starting to impact me and I need to step away from it because this is not me. This is yeah. you and yeah, you need right. to work on this. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that a lot in people that are in these roles, these helper roles is codependency <clears throat> and the need to be needed. And these sorts of things are flavors that we all, that we all possess. And, um, Actually, I do want to, okay, what I want to start now is maybe shifting the conversation around um, individual to a little bit more of the relational dynamics of people pleasing uh, romantically, um, because I know that's an area of expertise for you is working in, in romantic relationships. So yeah, how does, 
how does people pleasing impact romantic relationships? It ruins it completely. Yeah. And it, on such a fundamental level, because let me give you some examples. Hmm. You might be the guy who's like, oh, we never have arguments. But deep down, you're probably, there's something inside of you that's not feeling really good. You could be a situation where, you know, you're not, not getting enough quality time with your partner. Your partner's not communicating as consistently as you would like. But all you're doing is allowing the evidence that your partner shows up when he's supposed to and that you can say to people, look, I've got a loving partner. You are allowing yourself to believe that you've got everything under control when deep down there's something telling you that this is not feeling good to you. Then in other areas too, it can also be something we see a lot in narcissistic relationships as well where these people are such good chameleons at just having flattery, you know, making people feel good. But what that does is that it confuses so many people into these abusive relationships because none of it's genuine. You know, people-pleasing isn't authentic because you can be the guy who wants to show up to all these events, be with all the people, but never give enough quality time to a single person to actually properly enjoy that moment that you share together because you're too busy impression management that it just erodes the fundamentals of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Impression management. That is such a good term. I love that because um, that's basically the meat and potatoes of people pleasing. We're controlling people's perceptions of us, right? Impression management. Yeah. I really like that. So uh, when you think about the stages of a relationship, right? impression management can work in the honeymoon phase, but what happens when, you know, the things start to get more serious, how does somebody maintain (laughs) managing their impressions when, you know, things start to come up, like they get challenged by their partners? Let me throw that back to you. When you start meeting with a friend, are you impression management or are you actually, you know, meeting them at your level? With a friend or with a partner, like a romantic partner? No, with a friend. With a friend. Um, I don't really do that anymore, but I know that I used to. I used to be really concerned about what people think about, thought about me. And I still do care what people think about me, but not at the, at the sacrifice, not, not by sacrificing my authenticity. My authenticity is, is primary and my attachments are secondary. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. And in that context, how do you feel when you meet that person as you are without worrying about what that person may think of you now as a friend? Can you repeat the first part of the question? Yes. So knowing what you know now, you know, you can meet these people as friends or as acquaintances where you're not worried about impression management. How do you feel now? Do you feel differently? Do you feel like you're worried or do you feel like relieved that you can just be yourself without fear of judgment? Yeah. Oh, I feel relieved. But you know, what's interesting mm. is I had to really work on my self-worth to get to that place because showing up in my authenticity was impossible in, until I had a foundation of self-worth to fall back on. Yeah. Because you get reflected back to you things that might not feel comfortable when you're living authentically, right? When we're not living authentically, we wear masks. And when somebody criticizes us, we just pull that mask off and put on a new one, right? Okay. So we're not actually absorbing the criticism, Correct. So looking at your experiences with a friend, my answer now going back to what you're asking me, how is it like when you're in the honeymoon period and you're worried about the impression management? My answer is you shouldn't be. Yeah. Because 
this is something I teach all my clients is get good at expressing who you are from day one. You know, don't try and impress your partners. Yeah. Just be there to, you know, show up as you are. Like I've had situations where I've shown up sometimes with a partner where I'm sweaty off the back of the workout, where I just, I'm exhausted and I'm only there because, you know, I like that person's company. Not because I want to show off or because, you know, I want to get into bed with them. It's more just the fact that I'm like, I actually just genuinely enjoy this person's company. They make me feel good. Sometimes I'll even say, listen, I actually don't want to hang out with you today because I'm exhausted. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. And what I think now is if a person doesn't accept that, great. That's one less person I have to worry about. So really what we're building here is an understanding of who we are and getting a better picture of ourselves. Because if you lay the foundation for that honesty now, you at least get to see that person before the honeymoon period starts and you're getting that lovely wave of oxytocin. You're getting so <laughs> excited by the ride of, you know, a new budding relationship. So that way, by the time the honeymoon phase ends, it's two years in, sorry, six months, two years in, you can then reconvene at that point of being like, well, we've built this, found, you know, this foundation of friendship, which was based on authenticity to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's powerful, and it's actually making me think of of relating and what that means. Like right now, I'm relating with multiple partners, and um, I'm getting a ton of practice on relating and, and learning how to show up authentically. And um, you know what I've learned to not do is turn on the charm and the charisma to full blast because I used to do that all the time, and I would be I would be like this amazing free spirited, like, you know, just whatever, anything goes kind of guy. And I would fit into whatever they needed me to be. And then, you know, it comes to whatever three months when I can't, can no longer hold that up anymore because I'm irritated by things they're doing. And then suddenly I turn into this, like, you know, real human being <laughs> that has values and boundaries that he needs to maintain and, and sense a sense of safety that he needs to maintain. So what I'm learning now is to not lead with that sort of stuff and to bring forth my shadows and bring forth my, my light in, equ in, in equal balance, right? And just be really authentic because then the person knows from the get-go who you actually are. And I think that's a real hard thing for people to do because they want to be loved they want to be accepted by their by these romantic people that they're dating with but it always will come out in the end you know it's like at what cost is 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 my inauthenticity costing me down the road right oh 100 percent. in fact as you were describing that situation where if you're with a guy three months in and you pretended to be someone that you're not and then all <laughs> of a sudden the walls drop and you're like oh god you have to you know act like this you have to be this way you know, the only person who has to be asking these questions is actually yourself, which is, what did I do in order to choose this partner? You know, mm -hmm. what was what was my interaction like with this person? What did mm -hmm. this person bring to me that made me think this was a good idea? And then this is where people pleasing and then become problematic because that's where you see these things fizzle out into open relationships, these on and off dynamics where people boomerang back and forth. It's because... People-pleasing will mean getting along with your partner at the expense of actually standing up and even confronting your partner and saying, I don't feel good when this happens to me. Yeah. I would like it if this is what you can do in order to elicit a new outcome. Yeah. I think people-pleasing also, this is something that I think a lot of us can relate to, is also the fear of confrontation. 
and conflict. You know, confrontation is not conflict. And what I mean by that is being able to express yourself to your partner and say, hey, listen, I just need to let you know, I feel uncomfortable when you do this. I'd appreciate it if you do something else. That's not conflict. If your partner erupts and has like an egotistical moment, you might have to ask yourself the question, which is what's the reason I want to be with this person if they're never going to accept my basic needs. But at that point, if your partner goes, I'm deeply sorry, I don't want to hurt you. You've got to also recognize that this person is a team player. So that's where breaking that people pleasing cycle and actually allowing yourself to confront issues head on really builds sustainable, loving relationships. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. I feel like we need to unpack that further because I think so many people are going to resonate with that because conflict, you know, I remember doing a poll actually on my Instagram account around people that feel comfortable with conflict and it was like 80% of people hate conflict. <laughs> that's very significant. So um, yeah. how can we, how can we develop a, a greater tolerance to conflict? That's a great question. Well, I think there's two kinds of conflict. You know, there's, I, I think, let's, okay, let's talk about conflict for what it basically is. Drama, you know, this whole idea of having a back and forth between you and someone, whether it be a friend, a lover, a family member, it escalates. One of you storms off in a half, you're swearing at one another because you don't like the way you're talking about. That's the conflict we don't like. Why don't we like it? Because on a biological level, Anytime we get angry, it sends so many horrible, horrible signals to our central nervous system. Yeah. A lot of that energy just sits in the gut. Too much of that actually is known to cause significant problems in us, like irritable bowel syndrome and bloating. So a lot of that anger is really, really, really bad for us and can actually cause other long-term challenges for us down the road. So we know that we don't want that. So it's about recognising how we stop ourselves from getting to that outcome, but also accepting the fact that sometimes we need to address things that are going to be uncomfortable Mm. and having ways to manage ourselves in those moments. So one framework that I love that's been provided by the Gottman Institute for Relationships is learning when that moment of what they call emotional flooding happens, when you know that your rational mind is no longer working, you're just angry and you want to blow up at your partner, go for a walk. It's about recognizing, okay, I feel like my partner is triggering me. I need to step back, come back to this in 10, 20 minutes, and then hash this out where I can start listening to my partner. There is obviously a lot of cross-play with the ego because sometimes we don't want to accept criticism like you were saying. Like, you know, if you don't like criticism, well, you're going to be someone who wants to accept the fact that your partner's pissed off at you because you did something even though your partner's done X number of things to you in the past? Probably not. But that's the exercise you have to get used to is learning to just sit with it and go, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this to you. I want to help you not get to that stage again. And I think part of that, the reason why people are not good at confrontation is because they don't have the language to actually express themselves in a way which makes them feel empowered. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um. I want to I want to shift a little bit because the podcast is titled Breaking the Habit of People Pleasing. So I want to I want us to put on our think caps and and our coaching hats and uh, maybe share some, oh, yeah. <laughs> share some ways that we 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 find effective for ourselves and for our clients to um, 
be able to kick this habit? Like what, what, uh, what are you finding has worked? Let's maybe let's just start personally. Actually, we can each maybe take some time to talk about personal, yeah. um, how we've, we've gotten to a place where we're a little bit more authentic in our relating and, uh, and then maybe professionally how we coach our clients through that. So, um, pick one and start and then I'll, I'll, I'll alternate and then we'll just go back and forth. Sure. Uh, so to give you an example from one of my recent clients before I talk personally, I think this ties into what we were just discussing then on language, which is learning how to actually assert ourselves in conflict. Mm-hmm. So one of my clients recently had just gone through a heartbreak in, and he was being strung along by this guy who broke up with him and he wanted closure. But every time he wanted to meet up with this guy, his partner would pull away and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And he would, my client would say to me, oh, I don't want to be difficult by trying to speak with this guy to have closure. And I said to my client, what's the reason that you believe you're being difficult? And with a bit of work together, he realized that it was because he was constantly told as a child that he was a difficult baby because he kept on crying and he was too emotional. So what did he do? He stopped expressing his basic needs. He was frustrated that he couldn't communicate to his partner and say, I'm hurting, I need to break up with you. And so when I helped him realise that it wasn't in fact him being difficult, it's just him expressing his basic human rights, I then gave him... We worked on a script that he could use to say, hey, when, you know, as a result of everything that's happened, I have been made to feel like a non-priority. I've been, I don't feel like I've been respected and I don't feel loved. The guy that I want to be with would give me consistent communication, respect me for who I am. And this is important to me. I appreciate, you know, our interaction together and I wish you all the best. And then at the end of that, I asked him, did you feel needy or in any way difficult when you said that? And he's like, no, actually, I felt really good. And so subsequently, two days later, when he ultimately had that conversation with his partner, his partner was the one to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I've been the difficult one. So just having that experience for him made him realize, holy shit, I can actually stand up to myself and not worry about what another person's thinking. And he subsequently went on again on a date where a guy who was flaky on him, he just said to him straight away and, be like, and was like, look, my next step is a long-term relationship. I just want to know where you're at. And the guy came back to him and said, I'm really confused. I don't know what I want. And he was like, great, goodbye. So, you know, that's just goes to show how some of those early childhood memories can really screw around with us, dictate our actions. And when we're given the language, we can overcome it. Yeah, it's not, that's what it is. Communication is everything, really. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share personally, actually, first. You shared professionally. I'm going to share personally. Um, I recently, within the last four or five months, took an authentic relating course. And um, it was pretty much, I would say, life-changing for me. It, it gave me some really beautiful skills to be able to learn how to relate authentically, which if, is is really about rooting into your presence and speaking from presence. So it's like you're no longer telling the stories of who you are. You're, you're speaking from the moment. Like this is how I'm showing up in this moment, which is really beautiful because when we're caught up in our stories, we, we sometimes... Um, 
lose the purpose or the, or the meaning behind who we actually are. And we're talking about the past or we're talking about the anticipation of the future. And when we root into, into presence, we're talking about who we're showing up in as now. And, um, this has been a game changer for me because I, um, in order to, to break through the people pleasing stuff, I have to be really present and I have to be really, really present with the moment and say, what is it about me experiencing discomfort around conflict, discomfort around disappointment, disapproval, where am I experiencing that in my body, right? And what ends up happening is when I'm, when I experience, you know, that from somebody, like, let, let's say I'm kind of, you know, whatever, dancing around being goofy and somebody gives me like a weird reaction that can easily make me want to change my behavior. But what I do now is I kind of just stop and I kind of feel into my body and I just breathe. <sighs> I breathe out my mouth gently and I let that feeling go because it's no, it's not mine to own, right? It's almost somebody's like throwing their shame at me because they don't feel safe enough to show up in their authenticity. So I just return it back to them with, with breath and root myself back into myself and continue doing what I'm doing. That's, that's allowing me to be authentic. Um, So really for me, a, a game changer around my people pleasing is, is developing a stronger relationship with my body because my body can't ruminate. My body can't, you know, think all these thoughts about, oh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. So the more time I spend in my body, the more time I spend in authenticity. And um, so, yeah, I would say just that, that alone, the connection to body has been um, a huge game changer for, for breaking my people pleasing habits. Matt, I resonate so hard with what you said and in terms of connecting with body because I think that ultimately is what it all is about. You know, I think what most of us don't understand is that we actually have two brains, this one right up here and also our central nervous system. And I think we so often allow this to dictate because we're looking around and getting so worried and caught up with what other people think that we actually deny what's going on down here. I know as my personal example I've had times where people who I've spoken to have made me feel uncomfortable. And I used to think, oh, maybe if I work harder, they'll get along with me. It's like a challenge. I thought, oh, well, if I win them over, that means I'm a good person. Now I check in with myself and think, this person's making me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to do the opposite of that and just not put in as much energy and attention because it doesn't feel good. So, and I've done that with jobs too. I have stood up to CEOs and said, I need to be honest with you. I don't think I'm a good fit for the values of this company, whatever mission you're doing. And I have felt relieved when I've done that. I have felt like a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. Mm. Is it comfortable to go up and do that with people? Absolutely not. But I can promise you it is so rewarding because you're just like, thank God I have gotten rid of the baggage of these people, the baggage of this company or just the baggage of that situation I was in which just wasn't serving me and making me feel good on a consistent basis yeah yeah that's good you're you're reclaiming your power well that's just well that's exactly what people pleasing is not so that's how you break it (laughs) yeah exactly I like that um okay my turn to share on professional right yeah yes it's your professional turn um God, um, 
this is a common one, a real, real common one for, for clients. I work with a ton of people that are working through people pleasing stuff. And I think I'm, I'm just going to talk about something that's quite recent because there's so many strategies, but I think one that's really, really powerful right now. And it's helping a lot of my clients is this practice that I teach around. Um, and it's an authentic relating concept, but I've kind of taken it and added my own flavor, but it's called connect to self. It's a connect to self practice. And I describe it as we often, um, are up in the clouds or we're out reaching out with our attention um, towards other people, focusing on other people's reactions to us, focusing on what other people are doing. And we're not really connected to self. And when we're in that, we're in our minds and we're in our, we're out of our bodies and connect to self is about returning to self. So basically what you do is the visualization of literally bringing your your attention and your awareness back down into your body and and so down into your body if you're up in the clouds and back into your body if you're focusing outside yourself with your eyes and i i I describe it like you're sitting down into a lazy boy chair which is yourself and you just take a seat in yourself and you just chill and if you want to take it one step further you focus on the back of your heart and you just try and bring a lot of awareness to the back of your heart and just sit within yourself. And it's a beautiful container of safety that you create within yourself that I find allows you to just let go of what everybody else is thinking, what everybody else is doing, and you're just returning home to yourself. And um, it's been really effective. And again, it always comes down to the same premise is return to body, return to the second brain, right? The, the first brain is, is fantastic, but it's good for reading, problem solving, communicating, and, and those sorts of things. It's not good for, for creating safety and for making us feel um, authentic that's the job of, of our central nervous system and and we need to listen and tune into our intuition so the connect to self practice has been a game changer and i'm just loving it so i actually was as you were sitting in sorry as you were describing that just like sitting into like a lounge i was thinking if that lounge feels really uncomfortable, there's a problem with the lounge that I'm sitting in as well. <laughs> I'm a very visual person. So for me, I was thinking, gosh, what if I'm like sitting into a really shitty lounge with the environment that I've created and I just need to like go to Ikea and get myself a better lounge, <laughs> my social environment. So yeah, I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. But you actually, you make a valid point. And I think, you know, that happens with, with people and specifically clients that I work with that have trauma, right? PTSD and these sorts of things, sitting back into the chair of who we are isn't always comfortable. So what can we do to make our internal environment more comfortable, right? We need to unpack some stuff. We need to talk about it. And that's why therapy is so effective is it allows you to unpack some of that stuff. So then when you do return to self and you connect to self, it's a lot more comfortable. So it is, that's a really good point that you make, right? It's not, you know, sitting back in and returning home isn't always a comfortable thing too. It's not always a safe place. Um, but through, through coaching, through counseling, through therapy, whatever, whatever is you you know, you're, you're targeting those things, you can make your inner world more safe. I would agree with that, Matt. And I think the other thing I would say too, is that it's that process of returning to our inner world is only going to be delayed if you're resorting to coping mechanisms like drugs, addiction to all kinds of things, because you're not allowing yourself to sit in a lounge of your inner world. You're just way up in the clouds, avoiding that space too. And that's not a moral point that I'm making. I'm not trying to knock people who have addictions. We all do. I just think it's important to recognize when that's taking too much of a presence in our lives, because that can often fuel more of the people pleasing because it just continues exacerbating that for longer periods of time. The only way to connect with ourselves is by actually returning 
to our central nervous system. Yeah. When you talk about addiction and escapism and the number one addiction and escapism for, um, for people pleasers is dependency is people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. addicted to people. They're addicted to pleasing people. So um, that's their way of escaping self. So when we stop people pleasing, we have to have that, that sense of self to return to. Otherwise, we're just going to always be tempted to keep looking outside ourselves for that next person to come along to give us the hit of approval that we're seeking, right? 100%. Well, that's exactly what narcissism is all about, because that's exactly where that abusive pattern emerges, because that's exactly what it is. It's that whole idea of jumping from one person to the next in order to get your hit and then to move on. And that's such an unhealthy model. And that's why regular functioning human beings, people pleasing is about ending that and coming into self and self-regulating and being your own person. I think the expression to love another, you have to learn to love yourself is profound, maybe a bit poorly understood, but I think at its root, it is pretty much the basis of this conversation. You know, you have to recognize yourself sit with the uncomfortable parts and actually learn to appreciate yourself for who you are including the uncomfortable bits because if you can't do that then you can't even interact with who you you know your own authenticity that you'll bring in other people who are equally inauthentic Mm. yeah yeah that's some good stuff there (laughs) Mm. some juicy stuff i know be nice if this conversation could go on for years, but I know obviously the nature of podcasting is that it's uh, it's a nice one and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's good. These 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 podcasts are meant for people to stimulate, get stimulated, stimulate thoughts, stimulate feelings, um, and it is also an opportunity for you to showcase yourself and your skills and what you do. And I I know that you um, you have a a course out. Find my man. Do you want to share a little bit about that with the listeners? Yeah, sure. So this will relate. Uh, it's really, Find My Man is about helping my clients find committed, open, honest partners who want to share in an experience that they actually want. Mm-hmm. Part of the work that's actually involved with that includes learning to overcome problematic patterns of behavior, recognize who we are, what our values are, how to identify the right kind of person so you're easily filtering out the people who are not potentially good, so knowing your red flags and also knowing your boundaries and your respect and actually creating a life that is actually, you know, attainable for you. So we go through a lot of what we've talked about here today, you know, breaking some of these earlier dysfunctional patterns of behaviour, learning the communication skills, learning your values and getting to a place where you are on track to really feel like you not only can find your man, meaning your partner, but also yourself as well. Sweet. Yeah, I like that. Um, Yeah, you're doing really beautiful work in the gay community. So definitely wanted to uh, applaud you on that. And uh, we we need more people like you in the gay community and that are, are, are rising up and, and finding their own voice and their own consciousness and, um, and sharing that because it's a very um, misled community or it can be a very misled community and we need more people, more leaders that are sharing the messages of love and um, yeah, consciousness. So thank you for that work that you're doing. No, my pleasure, Matt. Look, thank you very much for having me on. I honestly, I 
love the work that I do. It's it's uh, it's worth obviously having a podcast on a Saturday morning, but <laughs> on a more serious note, I love it because it's just so fulfilling. And yeah, look, I think every time one of my clients has their own aha moment and has a transformation from that that helps them in their lives, I'm like, I've done a good job. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I will um, include your website and a link to, if you want to send me a link to your course and your Instagram, and those will all be in the show notes for the listeners. So you can uh, reach out to Ken and uh, connect with him. And um, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, share your comments with us. We want to know um, your experiences with people pleasing, any questions that you might have for us that you want to know a little bit more about, feel free to, to share them below. And um, for people that are tuning in on the podcast, um, everything's in the show notes below. If you like this podcast and you uh, want to support it, give us five stars. And um, yeah, thanks again for tuning in. And thanks again, Ken, for uh, dedicating part of your Saturday morning out there in Australia to, uh, to come on this podcast. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So thank you. My pleasure. I'll do it again. Sweet. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.